Just a little love note to all of our loyal free cookie listeners and to anyone who might be new to the show. This is an ad-free podcast. And we want to keep it that way. We want to make sure that we can just give you guys the awesome content, the great interviews. and Without the stuff that you have to fast forward. But in order to do that, we need your support. So if you could join us over at patreon.com forward slash free cookies and become a patron of the show, there are many tiers that you can join. You can throw us a dollar, you can do five, and it turns out we're going to start putting some content up for those of you who are hardcore free cookie supporters. We're going to make this worth your while. So if there's some of you out there who just listen to the show, and you feel like, hey, you know what? I could, I could spend two, three bucks a month. Great. If you guys need a little something as incentive, we're going to put some videos up on Patreon that are going to be exclusive to those of you who are free cookie monsters. And I mean, we're talking some good content. Like I'm going to take you inside my sneaker closet, like that kind of content, you know? And I will contribute recipes and perhaps every now and then our dog will give you a soliloquy. So again, that is patreon.com forward slash free cookies. Thank you. Thanks. I'm Catherine Budig. And I'm Kate Fagan. And this is Free Cookies, a humorous podcast filled with thoughtful conversations and offering delicious takeaways. And today. And today we are switching it up a little bit as we sometimes do. That's a, that's a switch it up beat. Which means we're not having an author on the show today, but we're having a very interesting, kind, wonderful, fuzzy, like a blanket on a cold night kind of human onto the show. Ooh, I wonder how she's going to feel about that description. Like a fuzzy blanket on a cold night human. Hmm. Which, Zosia Mamet. Oh, did I just? I guess that no, was anticlimactic. I, I honestly think you need to directly address her now and clarify your Dear fuzzy Zosia, blanket comment. My fuzzy blanket on a cold night. Am I weirding you out, or do you feel like? Does you that mean that you want to be on top of her? And bra. <laughs> <laughs> This is actually a good segue because what we wanted to talk about at the top of the show, because we have Zosia Mamet, famed from playing Shoshana on Girls from HBO. What a great character. Uh, fantastic character. Uh, we want to talk about how Girls. awkward <gasps> that show could make you feel when you watch <sighs> Girls. Because I think when it first came out, and I was a huge Sex and the City fan, Kate has never watched it, which to this day... I know you play basketball and that you weren't into like the whole fashion and shoe thing. I was busy during college. Very busy to miss sex in the city. It's funny how you can miss something, but it's like six years long. So it's not like you were like. That's what I mean. At a party that one night, like I I missed it the whole, like the whole time. Six years of not knowing how to catch on to cultural references did you did see you, a Cosmopolitan and you're like... Oh, everyone would be like, Cosmo, and they'd do the Sex in the City shimmy, you know? Oh, is there a Sex in the City <laughs> shimmy that goes to show that she did not watch the show? And <laughs> I had no idea what a Cosmo was until later on, much later. Because she didn't drink because she was too busy playing basketball. Didn't drink Didn't drink in college, honestly. Did, wow, this is going... I did not drink in college. Kate was not yeah. that exciting oh, of oh, a human but, until but age the, 20. Seven Five, or so, eight. 27 or so was when I was like, at me. <laughs> no, but actually I didn't drink at all in college because I was playing basketball uh, until the day after we got eliminated from our final NCAA tournament, at which point I drank Everclear. So it just felt what in retro. in the actual fuzzy in, blanket? In, <laughs> so what in the actual Zosia Mammoth is what that translates <laughs> what to, right? What in the actual Zosia Mammoth <laughs> on top of me? So, 
<laughs> oh, Zosia. Sorry. Um, yeah, so it was whatever pendulum swing that accounts for. Because it, it's actually not a pendulum swing because it's actually, you probably, I probably made a full circle on that one. Did it you, wasn't even did a you swing. Did you anything in your Everclear? Like, I'm assuming you, like, put apple juice Maybe, in like, or Kool-Aid or something. Oh, God. I don't remember mixing it with anything. Because you don't remember anything because you were taking, probably drunk off your ass after taking two I, <laughs> I remember because I was a basketball player, I remember I couldn't, we couldn't just drink. It was the team. It was like we had to, we set a timer and every two minutes we had to take a shot. And it, of Everclear. Until people. Of Everclear. I understand what Everclear is. Guys. I'm assuming you didn't last that long. Um, no, I think it slowed down after a little bit. But and, and I digress. Back to girls, back to <laughs> Sex in the City, back to the cultural references that I missed. Yeah. But you drink Everclear, so that's okay. That's a, that's a separate cultural reference. I feel like that's like a 90s thing that people did, and now they don't do anymore. Do you recognize this? The theme to Sex in the City? Yes. <laughs> and she's walking down the New York, dun, New York City dun, streets dun, doing the shimmy. Dun, dun, dun. No, she actually is in a cute little tutu and a Shimmying. little tank top. Uh, well, it's more of a sachet. I want to call that a shimmy. Yeah. So she's, she's very bright on the gray New York City streets. I kind of remember that. It was actually a pretty neutral outfit. It was pink and white. But regardless, it was girls. I, I think yes. you wanted to share your sentiment about girls. Well, I have a theory that humanity breaks. You know, everyone has these theories. This is like the dividing line between people. But I think one of the dividing lines is the ability to either embrace awkwardness and, and, and not have to be physically repelled or moved by it. And then people who have to get up and leave when awkward things happen. So I'm sure our listeners can assume what, which one I am. Yes. I think that there's also a direct correlation between feeling awkward and needing to leave a room and loving oatmeal raisin cookies. Because there is a correlation. Yeah, because you're you have to be extremely sensitive to love an oatmeal raisin cookie because you, you can't just be one of those generic chocolate chip eaters. It's like whatever, it's a cookie, yum, 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 yum. Oatmeal raisin is like, oh my but god. Not the, sensitive enough no. to have good no, no, no. taste. No, what I'm saying is it's <laughs> like discerning salt. So, no, because you're no, because you like chocolate chip cookies. You're just sort of like, I'm eating the cookie, oh, no, whatever. No, no. It's we're, a cookie. We're talking about the oatmeal. The discerning palate is yes, directly correlated. The discerning palate is the blend, the perfect blend of and the brown lack, sugar. Lack of discerning. No, you need a perfect palate to love an oatmeal raisin cookie so because saying, it's actually finely tuned flavors that are really, it's like a radio frequency that's been tuned to the perfect station. So when girls come on, you get your panties in a bunch and you run out and you stuff your face with oatmeal cookies <laughs> Listen, to soothe yourself. I was trying to make this very free cookies relevant with my aligning my r repulsion to awkwardness with oatmeal raisin cookies, but I admit to you right with now- With the world's repulsion. Listen, I admit to you right now that that was a stretch. A duke. Can we get back on track now? Breaking down, humanity is broken across the line of whether you can sit and watch girls and not at all need to get up and pace and run away or turn it off. And and if you if you find that awkwardness almost an inability to sit still with it, and I have an inability to sit still in the middle of awkwardness. Do you you agree with that part? Right. I completely. Anyway. You have the inability to stand still in any transitional effort. Like if we have company coming over. 
and everything's ready. The house looks great. I'm cooking the food. You will not sit down and you will pace like a poor little mouse stuck in one of those little mazes, you know, and then you like bump into the, the wall and you're like, oh, and turn the other way and bump into another wall. <laughs> I do do. It's really actually quite cliche. If we have company coming and, you know, they said they're going to get here at six, it's 5.58. I will go and look out the curtain at our driveway. Oh, yeah. But that normally starts about a half hour before. No, 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 no. <laughs> Not that early. Like but 15 minutes. Do we have a takeaway? Like, are we are we asking people to email us and tell us what kind of person they are? Listen, not are, everything's do, about having a, a takeaway. Hashtag girls challenge. Like, how many of you can watch it and not blink? Uh, y- you know? Well, I think, I think there's a... Girls is in a, a long tradition of shows that really pushes the boundary of of its its audience's ability to withstand awkwardness. It definitely pushes the boundary to push the boundary. It's <clears throat> pushing very... Yeah. Because another show that I struggled with was actually Miss Maisel. When there were certain there scenes where moments. she would get up like at her friend's wedding and she'd be like doing a stand-up routine that you knew was not proper for the audience. Or when she flashed her boobs during the stand-up. Remember that? She's got great boobs. Wow, I don't remember that, but now I want to see it. That's because you can't handle awkwardness and you missed the I did. joy I, I that, was pacing that was during her that. boobs. And Lena Dunham. And I was there for it. Lena Dunham <laughs> during Girls. That's a traditional one. The whole like stand-up comedic comic falling flat on their face. Like that, I, I really struggle with watching someone embarrass themselves. And it's different when Lena Dunham pushed it even like in physical awkwardness. Like she, she had habits that were awkward. Yeah, I think it was one of the first shows to embrace nudity and sexuality and more of an actual humans having sex kind of way instead of a hollow Hollywoodized interpretation. Like there's no body doubles. There's no perfect lighting on the butt cheek. Like this is full on humans having awkward sex with body parts that aren't perfect rubbing other ones it sounds like it's a porn it's totally not it's just um it it is it it makes you realize like how trained we have been to consume perfection in this uh this filtered washed interpretation and and it made me realize like how messed up my idea of what people should look like is from watching so much tv yeah, separately, and we should bring Zosia on pretty soon. But it's tangentially to that conversation was the one that we were having a couple of weeks ago when we were watching a show in which the lead actress just had like a normal body, so it was probably like a you know a size eight or something. Mm-hmm. And the whole time, because I'm not used to it, I spent every other minute thinking, "Wow, she's bigger than." She should be, even though that's not, that's what I thought, even though that's not right. And I was like, wow, wow I'm so conditioned because I'm spending, yeah. I'm spending most of my time watching this show thinking she's, they put her in this movie. They put her in this movie. It, like, wow, her body is not perfect. And I thought I spent the whole time noticing how her body was inferior, quote unquote, inferior to what I'm used to seeing. And that's so interesting because I kept noticing. I'm like, wow, she kind of looks like me. Like, <laughs> <laughs> so now that that's out in the air. <laughs> I think we should bring on Zosia and let her get on top of my imperfect Hollywood body. (laughs) Oh, poor Zosia. Poor me. (laughs) 
Today's guest, Zosia Mamet, is perhaps best known for her starring role as Shoshana Shapiro in Emmy and Golden Globe award-winning HBO series, Girls. Mamet can next be seen in the HBO Max series, The Flight Attendant, which I did flub while we were doing the interview. It's not out yet, y'all. It comes out on Thanksgiving, November 26th. Woo! Let's bring Zosia on. Oh, hello, Lucy. Oh, hello. 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 <laughs> oh, my gosh. Why is this our first phone call and it feels like it might be our 89th? This is it very feels, bizarre. It, it's very strange. <laughs> it like, is hello, very, old friend. <laughs> it, it also feels so weird that, like, what I said in our text last night, that we, like, know who each other are and we know what we look like and we know what each other's voices sound like. And we've like spent time with each other on screen, but like we've, we've never hung out and we've never spoken. I'm sure a lot of people can relate to our situation. So, So many. It's just, it's so common. It's so very common. So for, for our listeners who are like, what the F are you talking about? So obviously like Zosia, I get to turn on my TV and watch you whenever I feel like it. And then you get to practice with me on glow.com. And, and by the way, Kate, do you want to say hi? Yeah, I'm here too. And <laughs> it's really nice to chat. I'm going so nice to chat. I will be here as well. And I have some things to contribute, but mostly I, I think you guys, you should have your little reunion, even though it's not a reunion. It is. We need to come up with uh, the, the proper term for this reunion, this I, situation. There should be a word what? for when you meet someone who you already think you know. So it's not a reunion. It is the first time you're meeting, but it's like, anyway, I mean, there should be a word for that. And I bet they have it in Dutch or something. <laughs> exactly. They there's probably some Norwegian word. <laughs> there's, I was going to say they for sure have it in Norwegian. Yeah. There, there are all those sort of- weird Norwegian words where they're like, you can't really explain it in English, but it means like that feeling when like, have you guys, you know, that feeling when you're standing on something high, like you're standing like on a hilltop or something and you get that feeling of like, don't jump. And you're like, what? Like, why, why would I jump? Like, why am I even thinking don't, obviously I'm not going to jump. The Norwegians have a word for that feeling. I'm going to have to look that word up because that is, it's a very distinct feeling and you only feel it in that moment. And you're like, why would I think that I would jump? Cause I don't want to jump. This is so strange. It's like driving a car next to a cliff and you're like, don't go off the road. Don't go off the road. Yeah, exactly. But, But but like, you don't want to, you're not like... It causes, it's, but, it's like, it's almost like vertigo, but not in it. It causes yes. like a, a dropping of your stomach, like you're on a roller coaster, but softer than that. So I'm, I'm glad that they have a word for it. It's probably all those fjords. fjords. Yes. Yeah, fjords. So many, so many fjords. <laughs> too, many, too many fjords to handle, you know? Oh, this is such a strong start. Um, okay, I, I, before we, you know, get into all the juicy meat and potatoes that we're going to talk about, how's Moose? How's your dog? Well, currently she's barking at, I think, maybe a ghost or Hmm. potentially a bear. She just came into the room when we started talking because she definitely wants to be a part of it. But she's now barking at something. Lucy, come here. Since you, what what kind of dog are we, uh, are we speaking? Oh, yes. So Moose is, can you answer her? 
This is the 2020 interview where the dog is like sitting on the lap. (laughs) It's a a kind person delivering the package and Moose is like, you must die. Um, Moose is a mutt. We're not totally sure exactly what she is, but we think maybe like uh, the the pound told us lab hound. Okay. um, Which she definitely looks like a, she she's got definitely like some houndiness in her. She's black and white. Um, but then uh when she was like one, she got this weird thing in her paw. She kept licking her paw and it looked sort of irritated. So I took her to the vet and they were like, um, we think your dog has some bully breed in her. Like we think maybe boxer or pit bull. Mm. And I was like, How can you tell from looking at her paw? And he was like, Oh, well. Um, she has a yeast infection in her paw. And I was like, I'm sorry. What? (laughs) And he was like, yeah, no, but it only, it only happens in bully breeds. And I was like, what? How is that even a thing? But too many paw jobs. Was he eating too much yogurt? (laughs) She was eating. Listen, she wasn't taking her probiotic. She was just like afterwards. Honestly, no matter what what else we talk about, our listeners have gained a valuable piece of information from this episode. Deeply valuable. I mean, I did not know bully breeds could get yeast infections in their paws. I just, I mean, now you know. Yeah. And now so, you know. Zia, I don't know how you managed to cue this up, but speaking of barking at ghosts and yeast infections oh. on paws, yeah, you get a lot of tattoos on your paws, feet in particular, and you have two arrows facing each other that is supposed to ward off bad spirits. Is that what you said? Yeah. I would like to know about these tattoos. Please explain these tattoos. So I started getting tattoos on my feet because when I was on girls, they, um, they got mad that we were getting tattoos. It was a a little bit of it was like not to throw Jemima under the bus at all, but Jemima would like in the middle of shooting an episode, get a tattoo like on her forearm (laughs) (laughs) and it would just like totally mess with continuity. And and I was like, you guys, I get it. That's not great, but I'm getting them in places. You're like, don't see them. And they were like, we still please just don't get them. But, um, as people with tattoo, as you guys know, like sometimes you like cannot help yourself. It's like the call Mm -hmm. to get a tattoo. You're it's like, it's like an itch that you have to scratch. So I just was like, I figured it out. I'm just going to get them on my feet. <laughs> um, which also obviously. It's the most painful like location to get tattoos, by the way, I hear. So painful. I have one on the bottom of my foot that was like my ultimate FU to them when they were like, you can't get tattoos. And I was like, it was like an angry teenager. I was like, you know what, mom? I'm going to get one on the bottom of my foot. It's like, the, really? You mean the sole of your foot? literally the sole of my foot because I was like, you can't see it there. It was the most horrendous experience of my life. As it was happening, I was like, this is not worth it. (laughs) (laughs) Like the, I stepped on a straight pin when I was like four (gasps) and I still, if anyone gets close to my foot with anything that would scrape it or do anything, I freak out. Like my acupuncturist, She'll try to put needles in my foot. I'm like, you better stay the fuck away from the sole of my foot. <laughs> oh my god. Oh no, ma'am. Wow. No, yeah. It's it's owie. The worst part was that um, it like it. I'm very ticklish, and it tickled so much 
which was almost worse than the pain because I was like, I just have to sit with this extreme ticklishness because I can't move my foot. Mm. Um, and it was like a form of torture. It was very unpleasant. <laughs> um, but yeah, these two arrows supposedly are ward off evil spirits. Um, which it sounds like after what you told me, Catherine, you, you need this. Yeah. What did you, what did you tell? What did I you told say? Her, so Dana Childs, who maybe some of our listeners has had, they've listened, listened to the episode with Dana. It's the, I see dead cookies episode. Mm-hmm. And, um, <laughs> that's right. That's the title. Um, and, and Dana texted me out of the blue telling me that there was, um, either a, a, a living person and or spirit that had virtually put a curse on me. And this is out of the blue. This is like not, I wasn't paying her. What? This wasn't a conversation. She just texted me. I was on my way to like a wine and food event, feeling good about life. And she went on this, explained to me how she talked to another intuitive who had to hold space for her so she could cleanse the spirit from me and it wouldn't go to her. It, it was terrifying it explained a lot of my emotions around that period of my life it did um yeah so I kind of feel like I'm ready for my two arrows pointing towards each other tattoo and I will proudly put it on my sternum bone because I don't have a tv show that I need to worry about with continuity (laughs) you do it you go so that is terrifying yeah it, it i you were a little upside down about that and it reminded me of bly manor as you were just mm. talking about it the, the the netflix show but anyway i digress i wanted to know before we jump into lots of other topics so Zia, what was it about Catherine's teaching that drew you in i hated yoga for so long i found it to just be like tedious and really hard in a way that felt like it was never going to be rewarding or fun or enjoyable. Like I've always Mm -hmm. been someone who loves to move my body, but in a way that I think it should be fun. Um, And I love a physical challenge, but like, you know, you see those people who are working out and they just like clearly hate it. And I'm like, I don't know, find something else, like to find another activity that doesn't bring you that look on your face. (laughs) Um, so it was actually, um, my best friend in the whole world, Emma Goldman, um, who is now a yoga teacher herself was the one who turned me on to yoga. We were on a vacation together and she like, um, she was like, I streamed this class and, um, I just, I think that you would like it. Like, I think if you got over your hangups about it, you would actually really like it. And I like begrudgingly did a class with her and it was, we were, um, we'd gone with like, it was she and her husband, me and my husband, uh, I don't think any of us were married at the time. And then two other friends of ours had gone to St. Croix back when people, you know, like congregated and traveled mm-hmm. places. I remember that. Um, yeah. In the before times. Um, and by like day three, I was, I was like, okay, maybe I like this, whatever. <laughs> um, and they were your classes. And, um, I, Emma then was like, listen, you know, like it's this streaming service and like, you can have my login and just like, do it whenever you feel like it. Um, and I just started to like 
slowly kind of get into it. And then I started going to a studio in New York um, that at the time I think was the thing that hooked me. It was, um, it was a hot yoga studio that like was in the dark and blasted music. And I feel like that was the thing that got me into yoga in general. It sort of got me over my hangups because it was like loud and sweaty. And then eventually when I pulled all of those like distractions away, I was like, Oh my God, I actually love this practice more than anything. And I can take it with me everywhere. And I'd sort of taken a break from like doing it on my own. And then I started traveling for work and I was like, you know what, I should check out this site again. And I tried a few teachers and it just like, wasn't doing it for me. And then I remembered that Emma had been like, do this teacher, Catherine, like you'll love her. And so I started streaming your classes and at the risk of sounding creepy, it like, it felt like I was doing <laughs> class with a friend. And like, I'm a, I'm a weirdo. Like a, I'm there's a, a Norwegian word for that. It's okay. <laughs> you know, like, I'm just like a quirky, strange human who like, I was leaving the barn yesterday and t- I, <laughs> I picked up my saddle pad, which like needed to be washed. And I was like, literally as I was leaving, I was talking to my saddle pad for people who don't know, it's like, that's the thing that goes underneath your saddle on the horse. Mm. And it was super sweaty and gross. And I was like, I was like, all right, friend, I'm taking you home and it's time for a bath. (laughs) And this other girl who rides there was like, who are you talking to? And I was like, oh, just my saddle pad. (laughs) (laughs) Don't worry about it. And she was like, um, (laughs) okay. But I just, yeah, I know. Totally normal, right? It's a day in the life. I I, I get this. It's just a day. But there was something about, particularly because like, when you're not doing yoga um, in a class setting and like so much of my practice is when I'm on the road or when I'm working or literally like in my trailer, if I have a long lunch or to me, it's so important to have a teacher that you connect with who like you feel like is like in a way like talking to you. I feel like that's a very selfish way to look at it, but I just feel like you have this way of teaching that is still holds the space for the practice to be like serious and challenging, but it is always fun. And even classes of yours that I like do often where I like remember what you said, I still giggle. Like you were, I just feel like I'm hanging out with like a funny friend and you seem to have this like ease in the way that you teach and you clearly love it so much and you're just like quirky and weird too and I was like I just love this person and the way you just make it fun and to me it's like it's just always a joy to do your classes I like know it's going to be hard I'm going to get a great workout but I'm like it's just going to be fun and it feels Okay, this sounds really weird. It almost sometimes feels I'm like like a like a hug, where I'm just like, oh, I'm gonna do a Catherine class, and it's gonna feel like a hug. It's gonna it's feel true. like a little like, mm. and that's just to me in whatever um, discipline you're working in. Like when you have a really good teacher who loves what they do and has confidence in it and has an ease about it, that's what it should, like, that's what learning should feel like. Yeah. I think. Yeah. And so that's why I've just like, your classes bring me so much joy. Yeah. And 
Well, and first of all, thank you. By the, I'd like to You're say welcome. thank you. That's really, really sweet. I'm just sitting here like blushing the entire time. She, she is sitting here. Um, one thing that I, this is related to Catherine, how good Catherine is at teaching at yo, teaching yoga. I think because one this is the best episode <clears throat> of Free Cookies ever. By this the way, this is pretty much why we wanted to have you on was just to build up Catherine's ego. <laughs> Yeah, um, but one thing we always think about Catherine and I is there was this line in um, Gia Tolentino, the New Yorker writer. Mm. She she had a profile of something, and she has this line about working out in America. You know, in 2020, and she's like, often it feels like I'm doing survival exercises in a capitalist economy. And <laughs> yeah, like I think often so we'll so do spot we'll do certain workouts where like you know you'll get to this place where you're just kind of like doing this one repetitive move and you don't know, like you're not doing we it for fun. We regularly do you're Tracy doing, Anderson and yeah. we love it. I but wanna, ultimately, let's, yeah. just, let's just say so what it is. Yeah. There, and I think of this often when I'm doing a workout where I know the sole reason I'm doing it is because I'm doing a survival exercise in a capitalist economy. And Catherine's yeah. classes are never like that. Like I've never no. been in a Catherine class and thought, I refuse to do something to like sw- swivel your waist or whatever the word is. There's some Something for your waist. I don't know. It's like, a Dutch I, word. It's yeah. a, it, it's Swedish. Um, yeah, I, it's I, there is that. Of course, at the core of working out for many humans, there is going to be that feeling of like I want to feel good in my physical body. I like to call it a meat suit. Yeah, like I want to feel good in my meat suit. I'm Everybody yeah. here knows yeah. that. Everybody here knows you like to call it yeah. a meat suit. Okay, we're, we're, we're all aware. We're all aware. Everybody <laughs> likes to hear me repeat the meat suit. But I, I mean, yes. I mean, as as a human who's trying to survive in a capitalistic society that does weird repetitive movements to look good. I am very conscious of that as a teacher where I just, I do not want to shine any light upon we're doing this because right. You need to burn X calories in order to yeah. justify yes. existing like, as a that, woman. Damn the man. Yeah. Like we're doing this because endorphins we're doing this because this is a survival tactic in 2020 to like feel like yourself, like even a shadow or a shell of yourself right now. Yeah. And the BL yeah. to, to move. Like, I mean, we were, um, I know that you love doing the class also. Oh yeah. Yeah. Capital T, the class. Yeah. The class. The by class. To me. The oh, class. Oh, oh. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. But, it doesn't sound quite like that. But speaking mm-hmm. of, I, I mean, as an actor, you have such a crazy schedule when you're filming and, and, and getting in these classes and taking care of yourself and showing up and doing your job. And I know you just wrapped the flight attendant and that um, by the time this airs, this will already be available for people to watch on HBO Max or HBO? HBO Max, which is now like, I don't know if HBO is even available. It's like if you, HBO Max also has HBO, but this is specifically on on HBO. It's a a brave new world. I don't know. It's like everyone owns everyone else. (laughs) (laughs) But so filming this, did you film the entirety of this show during COVID? We did not. So we filmed, uh, our first season is eight episodes total. Um, It took us a year to film them because of COVID, um, which is crazy. Kaylee Cuoco, who's the lead of our show, we had like a right at rap on our last day we had like a toast with the cast and crew that was there and she was like i hope it never takes anyone this long to shoot an episode ever again um i was like are we on game of thrones what's happening um uh but we had finished yeah so we started like this time last fall 
and we were supposed to be done April 12th of this year. And, um, we were five episodes deep into eight. We literally had just finished episode five. It was like some sort of crazy kismet. Um, I worked on, I think lockdown happened on a Friday, um, or Saturday. I, but basically I worked on a Wednesday. I had one day off and that night got an email being like, we're, down tomorrow and then another email being like we're down for the foreseeable future and then lockdown happened um but we were really really lucky in that we had lost five episodes and so um our production team was able to do a ton of work during the lockdown because they basically just did all of post on our first five episodes um and then basically the minute it was safe to do so. Um, they geared up and we were the first production backup. One of the first in the U.S. and the first in New York. So we were the guinea pig for um, shooting during COVID times. It was crazy. And we filmed our final three episodes. We started um, like mid-September and we just wrapped like a week and a half ago. What was it like for you during the heart of the lockdown, you know, many people are still, you know, practicing those habits, but I'm I'm thinking more like March, April, May. What would, what was, what did you learn during it? Cause I think Catherine and I talk a lot about things we want to let go of that we prioritized before the pandemic, things we want yeah. back that we, you know, we definitely <laughs> yeah. do want to continue prioritizing. Was, did you go through any sort of process like that? Definitely. I mean, I feel like anyone who didn't is probably just like not very self aware. (laughs) It's like, that's a mean thing to say, but I'm like, how do you not go through and like an unprecedented experience in the world where it literally shuts down and not like the introspective at all. (laughs) Um, but yeah, definitely. We also had a very unique experience, Evan, my husband and I, because we have a house in upstate New York. Um, where we've been spending more and more time. We've had it for about six years, but um, we were leasing an apartment in the city and we basically uh, had decided to do like a trial full-time move over the summer upstate. Um, We were like, you know, let's wait and see if I get a second season of the show, but um, it's about, six months we won't we for sure probably won't know until it airs so it will be about six months and like um the cost of moving all of our stuff to a storage unit upstate and moving it back six months later is like less than one month of new york city rent so we were like let's just let's just try it and see so that had been the plan already and then um covid happened and so um, thankfully, you know, we weren't like, uh, shouldering some New York city rent and we also had the space to go. And I think the fact that, um, we're both people that really love nature and love being outside. And, um, I definitely, we both felt insanely lucky having this, especially with most, like having the space, like we would go on hikes. We live up against like a hundred acres of woods, um, And I had my horse who I got last fall. So 
the thing that it really highlighted for us, I think, and we had a moment of like a sort of flash in the pan of this last year. We went on an RV trip, the two of us to San Francisco and back uh, over like six weeks where we just basically totally unplugged. Um, and it was funny because I feel like so many of our industries and particularly like the entertainment industry, it's like this sort of devil on your shoulder that makes you think that you always have to be 150% plugged into it. Otherwise an opportunity is going to pass you by or someone else will get the thing that you potentially could have had, or if you don't give it a thousand percent of yourself every day, um, you're never going to make it to the the place you want to in your career, et cetera. And the road trip was really interesting because it gave us this glimpse of like, we were like, if we didn't tell our agents that we had left, they wouldn't know. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I feel like lockdown happened and Evan and I talked so much about how obviously minus the horrible things that this virus has done to the world and the hundreds of thousands of people who have died and the millions of people who have been affected beyond that, like this fascinating thing happened that never would have happened in our world, which is that like, it slowed to a pace that it has not been at since probably before the invention of most technology. Um, And it was so interesting to see what that did to our environment, what that Mm -hmm. did to people. And like, uh, you know, like you said, personally, how it affected us. And it was, there was an initial, almost like, um, like coming off drugs, like an initial withdrawal period. I would say it was like a couple of weeks where we both felt kind of like itchy and antsy and like um, worried. And then once that passed, we just totally settled into it. Um, And I think it was really illuminating for us to see that like, it's all like life is so short and it is all about priorities. And we, love what we do so much but at the end of the day like we love our friends we love our home we love each other we love the other things in life that make us happy and that like it should be those things first that we then mold our careers around um and not the other way um and yeah so I think it was just a really it was really interesting to step off the treadmill that we didn't even realize we were on. Um, you know, like we've, we're very, I feel like we've been pretty good since we've been together. Like we never, we always try and sort of take jobs like one than the other so we can be together. And, um, we're really specific about the jobs we take so that like, you know, we're not just mindlessly like away from home doing something we hate for no reason. Um, but this really still shined a flashlight on the fact that we were like, oh, wow, we're giving so much of ourselves in a way that's like not, it's not a successful return on investment. Like mm-hmm. we don't need, we can like hold on to 95% more of this and yeah. plant it elsewhere. Um, 
Well, and yeah. Speaking of priorities, you mentioned to me once that when we were having a little conversation about Hollywood, that you said that if anyone comes to you saying that they want to be an actor, that you would encourage them to do anything else if they can <laughs> besides becoming an actor. And and I loved you so much for saying that. <laughs> and and I think it's it's particularly rich looking at your your family lineage. I mean, your father is David Mamet, which as a theater major, I'm like, holy shit, your dad is David <laughs> Mamet. That's so cool. <laughs> I mean, so I, I would think that you have like the ultimate insider experience for what this world creates, the damage it can do, the um, kind of false security that it, 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 can, it can give people. And, and, and like you said, like if your agent didn't know that you were off with your husband like and your horse and, and, and your saddle spongy underneath thing that needed to be washed and you didn't <laughs> tell your agent that, then, you know, the world would keep going and you could enjoy your life. Like I'm just, I, I would love to hear more of your thoughts about Hollywood and what it does to people. And you know, I just, it's, and, but a, yet why you still like, why you still like love doing it. Do, do yeah. it. Yeah. You seem to navigate um, it yeah. very well. That's very kind of you. And that means a lot. Um, I've definitely, gotten better as I've gotten older, um, as, as we do, or we hope we do. Um, I mean, I did, you know, it was sort of a, well, it, I, I, with my family, it go they go back. My grandfather was a playwright on my mom's side. Mm -hmm. Um, and then my grandfather on my dad's side was a union lawyer for the Teamsters. So we're like, we're steeped, we're steeped deep in showbiz. <laughs> um, so, you know, it's hard to say, like people have asked if I'd grown up in Ohio and my family was farmers, like would I want to do this? And I'm like, that's an impossible question to answer, but I definitely saw I, I went in with open eyes, 1000%. Like I had no, um, I was not naive at all about the choice that I was making. Um, and yet I've, since I was little, I've just always wanted to do this. It was the only thing I ever wanted to do. Um, I hated school so much. I love learning, but I hated school. And I just basically counted the days. I almost dropped out of high school. I almost didn't graduate because I'm very bad at math. Um, I heard that your dad encouraged that, by the way. He he did. When I told him I didn't want to go to college, he was like stoked. He, I don't know. The man loves to be a contrarian. So that could also just be like a really big part of it. But um yeah, I, I think, and like, you guys know how tough this business is, you know, like how you tried being an actress in oh, LA God, as well. So fast. So I mean, fast. it just, it is, it is the way that it works is inefficient and heartbreaking and like so backwards and just the rules. It's like, it's like a game that was rigged to make you lose unless you mm. somehow figure out a weird back door. And even then 
you still might lose the game. Like I think constantly about how people win Oscars and then like never work again. And you're like, yeah. how did that, how did that happen? So I tell people when people are like, I want to be an actor. I tell them to think like dive into the depths of their soul <laughs> and truly think like, is there anything like what I could I like run a bakery and be happy? Like, is there anything else that you would be happy doing just because the chances of success are so slim. The chances of sustained success are even slimmer. And then the chances of success in a way that are both monetarily and creatively fulfilling are like, Mm basically slim to none. And I feel like even if you accomplish those things because of the way, like just what I was to echo what I was saying before, like the way the industry works where it's sort of like, we need all of you. (laughs) Like, I feel like you also have to have such a crazy, consistent, like self-awareness and introspection about you to every step of the way be like, am I still focusing? Like if you're in a relationship, be like, am I still focusing on my marriage or my relationship? Like, am I maintaining friends? Am I still doing things that make me happy? Have I turned into a selfish monster like you know I feel like you hear or you like see or meet all these like very famous wealthy people who are just miserable and I think that's because um this industry success comes at such a high cost Mm -hmm. unless you are constantly like checking yourself and checking the choices that you're making so it to me is just like truly if you could be happy doing anything else like why not because I feel like this industry just it's like being swallowed by a a, like a whale and then trying to like claw your way out of it um (laughs) but if it I do it because I knew like I I asked myself that question really young and I was like I won't Like I genuinely, when I am getting to do what I love in an elevated way, like with good material and other great actors and great directors, like literally nothing feels better to me. It it feels like it's like, it's like doing a drug. It's like flying. Well, it sounds like like it's still the craft for you. Like you actually enjoy the cra- and I guess this is why, you know, with your father, for example, I just think theater is so rich and people yeah. still act on stage because they love the craft. They love the art. Um, yeah. And I and I, I've well, I think Kate and I both have this theory that, you know, the more successful or if you reach if you break that glass ceiling and you just become like, I don't know, like Jennifer Lawrence or something like that. Yeah. She seems so funny, but I would assume like her life sucks. Like it just, (laughs) totally. you know, like, because when you become that A-list, 
I mean, don't get me wrong. I would love all the outfits and the free clothes and everything. And the <laughs> obviously, <swag>. obviously. <laughs> but I, I can't imagine like the the sustainability to keep yourself at that level of fame sounds so. It's it just seems like it's signing a deal with the devil to well, a certain extent. Yeah, because Absolutely. because uh, when I, when I was at ESPN, we had a. A, a reporter there who used to be an entertainment reporter, Kelly Carter, and she she came on a radio show once and she told this story about how she was covering an event and she there was an actual list oh, ranking yeah. every celebrity who was coming in order of their importance. <laughs> and <sighs> and I just like it, it, it just made me it, it gave me a level of understanding about how warped it can make you when I thought of like picking up that list. I don't know why a celebrity would pick up that list, but if you picked up that list and like one year you were like third on the list, which is amazing. And then the next year you find that you're like 17th on the list. Like I just can't imagine the, it's hard enough seeing like likes and the metrics just, Mm -hmm. you know, an everyday person is um, subjected to versus an actual list that shows you your worth. And I feel like that that even if there aren't lists at every party you go to and every event you go to, I'm assuming there's like a list in everybody's head everywhere you're walking. <laughs> oh, absolutely. I mean, also the craziest part is like our, I mean, I consistently hold out hope that eventually the way our industry, I think COVID actually has shaken things up in an interesting way, but the way that things are greenlit versus not, or like what's made versus that. It's basically like what's going to sell in Asia. Like that's mm-hmm. pretty much like the, the way that we decide what movies or what television shows to make is so backwards and antiquated and based on like weird nonsensical algorithms. And it's so sad because you see these things not get made that are that would be so brilliant or right, it's not about being things. good or smart no. anymore yeah no and like that's another thing that's so it's sort of the same thing it's like that list is based off n- like nothing and that's the that's the other thing about our industry that I think is one of the biggest pitfalls and why I tell people to only do it if they like literally can't stay away it's like a light pulling them to it because Mm -hmm. it's such a cruel industry and it's all like play pretend like not to not to discount or play down like the work or like the brilliant work or the importance of things for people to like I do think entertainment is really really important Mm -hmm. um but like it's the emperor's new clothes like Mm -hmm. why did one person get a job that for whatever reason that was like, I think Jennifer Lawrence is a really interesting example. Like if that had been the other girl that it was down to, like I imagine it was probably down to Jennifer Lawrence and one other person. Cause it always is. And like, if it had been the other girl, that other girl would be Jennifer Lawrence. That's and crazy. where would Jennifer Lawrence be? You know what I yeah. mean? But like, but that was based, maybe it was like, the casting director just her husband just cheated on her and the woman kind of looked like the other girl. Like you just, right. you so know, subjective. Some, some, sometimes you never know. And that's, 
such a big part of like what makes this industry so trying. Yeah. Um, and like strange and bizarre and why things like that list exist, because I think people in the industry f- constantly feel like we have to um, quantify things to make them make sense and to like make us feel okay about our choices. But like, for instance, casting conversations, um, you know, I used to have them with my dad all the time. Like he'd be casting a movie and the studio, someone who is a movie star, or you would be like, that person is untouchable. And he'd be like, yeah, the studio said they don't have enough value to finance a movie. What? And you're like, I don't, what does that mean? Like, so when have you beaten the system? Like, when do you win? And the like, answer is like, there's no such like, thing. It sounds like there's never. no finish yeah. line. There's no finish line. Well, so that's this, it. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I was just saying with all of this in mind, and this is something that Kate and I talk about all the time is, you know, what is it like to be part of a cultural phenomenon? Like, what is it like to be on the World Cup women's team? What is it like to be on the cast of Hamilton? You know, what is it like? What was it like for you to be part of girls like at the height I mean, this of is, it? This is a moment. This is a feeling that virtually no one gets, obviously, it, you know, yes. like to like be piece but, of pie right but i but <laughs> to be in that like zeitgeist moment that is even more than just a zeitgeist because it's like it's just these zeitgeist yeah it's like it only comes like once every what like three to five years when you have those huge cultural moments what is that like yeah and were you happier was- or were you like get me the hell out of this i'm i'm so intrigued not the filming but like the moment no, of just it like, yeah yes every the cultural yeah. experience of it no i am yeah it was um it was very strange. Um, and I think I honestly, until very recently, this sounds very thick, but like didn't realize the weight of the experience that was happening to me because I think while I was in it, it was just, it was so much. And like, my day-to-day life didn't really change. Like that pretty much stayed the same other than things like photo shoots or like going to the Emmys or, but it all, I think the main reason that it was very hard to comprehend and process at the time was because it, it happened out of nowhere. It wasn't like, um, you know, I signed on to like some new Marvel movie to play the lead superhero. And then that, like even something like, um, um, even something like hunger games, like that was that book was, or like, um, Harry Potter, like the kids who signed on to Harry Potter, they probably knew that, um, wait, hold on. Sorry. There's no, Evan just came up. What's up, baby. I did feed the cat. Yes. Oh my God. I love yeah. it. Yeah. Cat has been fed. Check. We, it's not our cat. Our neighbors went away for two days and asked us to feed their cat. And, um, and I actually full disclosure this morning at 1130, she was like, just any time in the morning. And I was about to leave for the barn. I was like, Oh, I didn't feed the, the cat. cat. And I went and fed the cat. Fed, fed the cat. Nala has been fed. Nala. All good. Hopefully the owner is um, not a fan of free cookies. <laughs> Yeah, no. 
Uh, let's just hope she never hears this. Um, but she said, so that's what matters. Nala has been fed. Um, yeah. It, um, so like those things, I feel like everybody was like, these are going to be big. Like, you know, Harry Potter's already a sensation. It's going to be big. So I signed on to this project that everyone was like, we feel like this is really cool. Um, but like, we had no idea that it would be, that it would like hit the funny bone that it did. Like, mm. and then it happened. And I think we had this wonderful blessing, which was that, um, it wasn't like, I think I'd been acting longer than everybody, but like, I'd never had an experience like that in my career. And we had all, so we were all in the same position together, experiencing the same thing on the same level. And, um, you know, Judd was really like, people used to call him like, uh, our protective gorilla. Like he, I think just had this great way about kind of shielding all of us creatively from everything that was happening from the outside. Mm. So we weren't really exposed to it. And Jenny Connor always used to say, like, I think one of the reasons it never hit us until the end or like a little bit after was that we basically would film the season would air and we would go right back into filming. So like the period of time that the insanity was happening, we were constantly working. Mm -hmm. And so it was almost like, um, yeah, it was like, there wasn't time to fully experience it. Um, but I think it was also that my, my brain was just like so overwhelmed by it that I, and I was like, I just want to keep doing good work. Like every year I would go back and I would be terrified that I wouldn't, that I would suddenly like forget how to play this part mm-hmm. literally every year. Like right before I went back, I would have a full blown panic attack. And I'd be like, Evan, I think I'm going to forget how she talks and I'm not going to be able to do it. And like, and then I would get on set and it would be fine. But like, uh, yeah, I think it was just all happening so fast. And I was so focused on just like doing good work. And um, I honestly think when they act us to, they asked us to come on inside the actor's studio. I was like, what? <laughs> like, like, I think that was maybe like one of the moments where it like finally hit me where I was like, I don't, I think you're, no, you, you're wrong. Like you asked the wrong cast. Like, um, and yeah, but I feel like during, during it was just, it was just so crazy. And it's something that actually is like a little sad to me, although I don't know how you go back and fix it. Cause also it was my, it was my 20s. Like I was still mm-hmm. really young, but like I wish that I had like savored it more or like taken a step back and tried to just like look at it a little bit more. But I, I truly don't know looking back like there is sort of like a nostalgia about that, almost like missing like your favorite summer camp. Mm. But I don't know if it would have been possible because it was just like, it was like a tidal wave. And I think we were all just trying to ride it and also continue to like make work that was good enough to keep the tidal wave going. 
Um, and so it felt like there really wasn't time until it was done to process it. Um, um, okay. One more question. Cause we want to be respectful uh, of your time, but I wanted to go back to the big entity of like a superstar actor and then still running up against some roadblock. And I wanted to relate it to something that I always saw in the sports world. When you look at like, for example, like a Nike and obviously they can, put a shoe on LeBron James and LeBron James can sell a million shoes. And then you have a female athlete and they try giving her a signature shoe, but they don't really market it and they don't put money behind it. And then they're like, well, the shoe didn't sell. So we're not going to do that again. And it's like th- these big entities. And I'm relating this to Hollywood because I feel like someone like Nike could just tell us what we like, right? Like Nike yeah. could just decide we're taking this female athlete, we're putting a $100 million ad mm-hmm. campaign behind her, we're, desi- we're taking our best shoe designer, he's designing a sneaker, and this shoe is going to sell. And guess what? The shoe would sell. And yeah. I feel like some of our big entities sometimes seem to lose sight that like they can tell us what's cool. That's actually the point of them, is to tell us... <laughs> what is cool. And I, and I, I want to know from like your inside perspective or, you know, as you, if you have talked about this with, you know, friends and colleagues, like what does it feel like from the inside when you're like, no, look, you have a bazillion dollars. Just like make the movie that matters. Like what's going on here. It's really frustrating. It's like as frustrating as you just described it. And I think as frustrated as I feel about the female athlete problem, you probably feel about, yeah. Like one, thousand and fifty percent and to me it's exactly what you're describing so it's this weird messed up reasoning that they have of um I forget who said it like a cup like it was like Amy Poehler or someone was like every couple of years like some female driven comedy will come out and people will be like women are funny and she's like (laughs) Can we talk about, like, what about, like, Lucille Ball? Like, Mm. what do you mean women are funny? Like, we've known that forever. Um, But, uh, so, I would say, like, two two sides to that. Like, one from the female athlete, like, female-driven TV show, film, franchise, etc. I feel like the same exact thing happens, but it, and it's from a, it's the same, it's the same pitfall. It's from a marketing standpoint. So, like, they will because they want to fill a quota or because they're like, we're woke now. Like they'll make a female driven Mm rom-com, but they won't put the marketing money behind um, advertising it. And, or they'll like maybe not hire the best marketing team so like either it's not getting out there in the way that it needs to, or it's getting out there in a weird way, or for whatever reason, like they've decided to make it, but like maybe it didn't have the budget that it needed. Mm-hmm. Um, or they couldn't get who they wanted because they don't want to pay a female star as much as they want to pay a male star. Mm-hmm. And then the movie doesn't work or it doesn't have the returns that they, um, you know, projected that it would. And so then they're like female driven comedies don't right. sell. It'll be another 10 years before we try that again. (laughs) And it's like, no, you idiot. Like you did it wrong. If Nike made a shoe for Megan Rapinoe and they put a hundred million dollars behind the ad campaign, Mm -hmm. that, that shoe would sell out 
overnight. Yep. I mean, okay. that shoe would be, I mean, they wouldn't even have to put a hundred million dollars into that. I can be like yeah. every, every woman in the, their mother would buy a pair, but like, they're not, everyone is like, everyone is so risk averse yeah. in our industry that they end up making these really safe, stupid choices. Yep. Um, and then this really horribly frustrating thing happens. I call it the little Miss Sunshine effect because that movie, like no one wanted to make little Miss Sunshine. Hmm. And it was like, it was just like impossible to get made because it was this like weird, tiny indie film with, with at the time, like no one knew who Steve Carell was yet. Like Abigail Breslin was a child. So they get it made by the skin of their teeth. It's the biggest hit at Sundance and it's like the first indie to have a big sale. And all of a sudden everybody's like, so we're looking for a little Miss Sunshine. Yep. And mm-hmm. then they want that script. And so like some brilliant young writer comes to them with a weird quirky indie script with all these unknowns. And they're like, I'm so sorry, we can't make that. Mm. And it's like, okay, but do you understand that before little Miss Sunshine <laughs> was what it is now, it was this script that you have in your hands. That's only going to cost, a million five to make. And yet you're saying you don't want to make it because it doesn't have like Miley Cyrus isn't playing the family dog. So like, you know, <laughs> right. And like, so it's this horrible catch 22 of like, you either have to get in through some weird back door or you have to have a weird convergence of magical events and then all of a sudden you're the new litmus, but they don't see that like before you were the new litmus, you were nothing. And to me, it's all about getting a new wave of executives on board and totally restructuring the way that we yeah. do things. Like one of our dearest friends is a very big um first AD. He works on like Michael Bay films, like he does the Godzilla movies, things like that. And it was like a couple of years ago, like Godzilla versus Kong came out and it bombed and it was horrible. And it, this, this, I think the budget was like $350 million. And I, when I hear that, I just think about like wow. every amazing smaller yeah. movie, like literally like so many movies could be made. And I was like, dude, the world needs more Kong. <laughs> Like so much, obviously we all want big gorillas. Um, I was like, just explain to me, like, why does this happen? Like why, when you have that much money, do you end up with a bad movie? And he was like, so it's all just bad um, mathematics where the studio decides that they're making a franchise. So they make Godzilla And Godzilla is made on a certain schedule so that they can make Godzilla versus Kong on a certain schedule so that they can make Kong versus Godzilla 2 and then like Godzilla Returns. And it's all projected like 10 years into the future. And it's all done by committee. So Godzilla happens and then they're trying to get Godzilla versus Kong the script in line and time and maybe the script isn't totally up to par and it's had 10 different writers by this point, but they just have to make it if they're going to make Godzilla versus Kong two on time. So they're like, whatever, we'll just make it. 
And then they just throw money at the problem. And they're like, we'll fix it in post. And then they hire a young director that they can pay that not too much money to, who's like only made music videos, who has no idea how to direct a $350 million movie. And you have like all these famous actors who now don't want to answer to this director who has no idea what he's doing. And you go a hundred days over and $20 million of our budget. And all of a sudden you end up with a crap movie, but at least you're on schedule. And like, and and then they just, nobody, (laughs) it's such a nightmare. And like, nobody is being like, Hey guys, should we like reassess the way we're doing this? Because it seems to not be working. Everybody's just like, this is how we've done it for 10,000 years. And I want to justify my job. So we're just going to stay the course and we're just going to keep the status quo. And like, until somebody decides to shake stuff up, like it's, that is going to keep happening. Um, And I, I'm a big believer in like TV becoming what it is. I think, is really what's going to change the mold because everybody's just going there because that's where the best material is and the opportunities are. And there's so many platforms. So like, you know, people are going to get jobs, like eventually good, like the cream rises to the top more so there because they're not beholden to like, you know, the 10 year con plan, their 10, the 10 year con plan. (laughs) Exactly. Kong junior. Well, Zosia, a deep bow and thank you for staying true to the craft and being such a talented actor and and a comedic genius. You truly are. And that is very kind. Thank you. For saying that. I, I thoroughly enjoy watching everything you do and 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 thank you for taking the time to do an evening podcast recording with us. I, this is the first time that I have sipped on a glass of wine while recording for cookies. I'd like everybody to know. That's right, that's right. Oh Good my goodness. Lovely. Yeah, yeah you'll know. But um, we uh, adore you. Thank you so much. Uh, thank you. I adore you guys. I wish, I wish, and I very much look forward to the time that we can just like hang out and drink Real wine together life. in person. Yeah. And we will and ride like, horses and oh my I God. will watch you when ride a wine horse. And we will watch all of the King Kong movies. <laughs> all of them. I love them. I want them. <laughs> I think we should watch all of them in one night. I think we should probably just do it. We should just rip um, the bandaid off. Done. It's happening. Done. All right. Um, you guys are a dream. And um, we can also, you can call me anytime if you want to just drink wine and talk on the phone. It should and be not re- for reoccurring. reoccurring. <laughs> yeah. I know. I'm like, there. expect to hear from me in 30 minutes. <laughs> okay. Sounds good. I'll talk to you soon. Okay. All right. Bye. <laughs> all right. You guys rock. Bye. Bye. And that is Zosia Mammon. That's right. She's the best. She's so fuzzy. She, she was fuzzy. <laughs> Fuzzy and warm. (laughs) Fuzzy and warm. But thank you for listening to our show. And I'm actually, I'm going to, I mean, we are produced by Lindsay Collins, who is the best. And you can find us at freecookiespodcast.com. You can find us on Instagram at freecookiespodcast. But I'm just going to jump to the reviews because if you have the time to rate or review the show, that means a lot to us on Apple Podcasts. But um, Kofro123 you are so right. So Kofro123, How do I all, spell Kofo? Is it K or C? Co-C-O-F-R-O. Okay. One, two, three. Okay. I 
So Kofor is talking about movie tropes from our Ooh, other episode. On the Apple Podcast review? Mm-hmm. Great. And thank you for the five stars. But also, I totally agree with what Kofro is saying. They said, you know, I watch a lot of British TV and I'm fascinated that so many of the iconic detective shows take place in these small little villages. Mm-hmm. And Kofro mm-hmm. is like, how can there be so many murders in these places? I mean, wouldn't they run out of people to kill? That is such <laughs> astute, smart observation. Yes, and, and uh, to piggyback on Kofro's... One, two, three. Um, Kofro, one, two, three. Another trope is the big city detective... Going to a little going town. Going to a little town to get away from all of the devastating homicides Where that he has everyone's had. everyone's dying. And then all of a sudden, the second he gets to the little town, fucking Murder. Murder. How are, like, I, uh, how are all these big city detectives, every small town they go to, they bring the murder problem with them. Yeah, I know. And usually it's not just any murder. It's, it's so like right. the beginning of a serial killer. Of course. It's crazy. The luck that they have. You got to get them ready for season two. Yeah. Kofro123, thank you for bringing up that truly insightful. And, <laughs> and I appreciate when... Our free cookies listeners expand our horizons. I mean, past just American TV. You know, I mean, there there are people out there like my mom who Scandinavian TV is where it's at for them. Mm. If if my mom Scandi fashion, Scandi TV. Yeah, I mean, my mom she'll just sometimes text me and be like, "Just found a show set in Oslo about <laughs> a serial killer, and a tidal wave comes at the end." And she's like, "They've hit." My nexus. You too, Fagans. Yes. So we love our Scandinavia TV. We love our Fagans. We love our Scandi. We love our, our small village murders and Zosia mammoth things that make us awkward. And clearly only one of us loves sex in the city. So you be well and go watch some sex in the city. Go watch some girls. And I dare you to not look away.